Hello and welcome to another episode of Rod and Glenn talk about Apple stuff. My name is Glenn Carmichael. I'm a designer. I work for Telstra Purple and I'm based down here in Melbourne. And as usual, I'm joined by my friend Rod. Hello, Glenn. And hello, everyone. My name is Rod Sampera and I'm a designer as well at Telstra Purple, but based in Brisbane, Australia. Crazy times, crazy days. We're in lockdown here. I know it feels like upside down or backwards world. Yeah, <laughs> I've got freedom, and you're in lockdown in Queensland, so it's uh, it feels it feels wrong, um, feels unfair. The tables have turned. That's it. I'm going into the office tomorrow, although I'm not actually particularly happy about that. So, what are we talking about today? <laughs> so, the, the the topic of today is we wanted to cover this idea of the gap that exists between the concept of accessible design and the topic of inclusive design. And there's some nuances between them, although sometimes they might be used interchangeably. Yeah, I agree. So I think, you know, accessible design is something that has grown um, significantly, particularly over the past few years within the, uh, the, you know, practice of UX design and interface and interaction design. Um, and, you know, typically when we think about accessible design, things that we're considering is, you know, things like WCAG compliance or web content accessibility guidelines compliance, where we're predominantly worried about like contrast ratios and, you know, um, supporting OS level things like text scaling and voiceover and contrast ratios. Um, but when we, when we take, uh, take a sort of a step back from accessible design and, and sort of look at it from a lens of inclusive design, um, there's a much broader set of considerations that come into play. Yeah. So we had uh, a talk at DubDub uh, this year, uh, a few talks at DubDub this year around accessible design. Um, and the one that really, well, the thing that really um, landed it for me was the diversity classes slide that they spoke to, where effectively there is uh, 20 different sort of diversity considerations or diversity classes that Apple considers uh, when they're thinking about inclusive design. Um, and I'm going to be really boring and kind of list them out really quickly because, you know, there's the ones that we do think about, but then there's things like, you know, people's class, uh, people's cultural background, people's ethnicity, people's language. Um, you know, I, one of the, the stats that came out of that is that the estimate is that 50% of the world's population is bilingual, which makes me feel very dumb. Um, What's somebody's level of education? What is somebody's political or philosophical beliefs? Their religious background, their race, their gender identity, their sexual orientation, their age, their abilities, their disabilities, their handedness, uh, their body measurements, their environment, their current location or, or uh, geographical kind of whereabouts, um, their access to connectivity and their access to modern technology. So way, way more than, you know, just the focus on ability or, or, or disability that a lot of include, uh, a lot of accessible design tends to focus on. Yeah, the, that is quite a comprehensive list. Um, but I think it's it's important that it's that comprehensive because, as you said, we're talking about the gap between accessible design and inclusive design. And this really exposes the, the, the opportunities of the different problem spaces that we can... Um, work on to design really inclusive experiences. And the interesting part with these with these diversity classes or this diversity axis as they call them, is when you start combining them, 
it's not that you need to be able to answer at every level all the time, although the more the better, but it's when you start mixing and matching these classes to really focus the way you build solutions, inclusive solutions, that, that they start to become super handy. I, I don't know, just an example that comes to mind. When you need to combine uh, things like ability, age, or sorry, disability, age, um, what else, environment, and maybe, mm, well, maybe more. But for example, and, and for someone that doesn't, can't necessarily read a text or an image, there's technology now that is quite enabling. For example, iOS 15 has released a series of APIs that allow apps to recognize text on an image. And by understanding the context of the person or the context of the, of the information, we can actually trigger relevant contextual interactions um, when, for example, I don't know, you point your phone at, at, at an image that might have an address or, or a website and, and you can't really see or maybe you, you don't have your glasses with you, you don't need to be blind, um, and then the phone can interpret that for you and give you actions to do. And that's even accessible via voiceover so that you can hear it if you can really see the screen. 100%. I think that, that, that concept of intersectionality, I think, is what they called it that you're talking about, where you take you know, multiple diversity classes and lay them on top of one another and then have a look at the product or the service that you're designing and building and whether or not it caters to them. Um, I think the big thing that kind of came out of a lot of that and, you know, the example that you gave right there, that's a cool feature for somebody that maybe doesn't, you know, have any of the challenges that you described or doesn't fit into any of those uh, sort of diversity categories that you described. Like being able to just take a photo of something and make a phone call because it detected a phone number or navigate to a location because it detected an address, that's useful for people um, that don't necessarily rely heavily on accessible design. But, you know, it, it's it's that, it's inclusion and being innovative for that wider audience that means that, you know, as a consequence of you being inclusive in that design, it, it's more useful to more people. Um, I've actually used a few times running, running the beta, the... Uh, take a photo of something and immediately make a phone call from it. It, it works particularly well. Um, so, so that's an example of like software doing it. Um, there was another example with LiDAR, uh, with hardware uh, being included into that equation as well. So for people that have low vision or no vision, um, you know, uh, when lining up in the physical world, uh, particularly over the past 12 months where, you know, social distancing and needing to uh, keep sort of that six feet or 1.5 meters uh, from other people to maintain social distancing. Um, you know, the example was used with the Measure app where LiDAR could allow that person to kind of hold the phone in front of them and LiDAR would detect um, how far the person in front of them was away from them. So they would, even though they're blind, would get a like a different uh, cue, whether it's audio, audio or, or haptic, to tell them that the line is moving forward and they don't need to be bumped or tapped on the shoulder by somebody else in order to know that that's, you know, that that's happened. Uh, so it's another really cool example of it. And like that, there's more and more stories. And so far, we've talked about things that have to do with um, visual disabilities or, 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 or uh, using the camera and those sorts of interactions. But as another example of, of inclusive interactions is this new, this new approach to um, machine learning image descriptions. And for example, considering gender-neutral mm. interpretation of images, right? Because not only machine learning image descriptions allows people who might be visually impaired 
to see and, and share experiences of an image that has been shared with them. But the text that is created needs to have awareness of the culture in which that message has been sent. It's, it's, it's either the, the gender, because like considerations for non-binary, um, a non-binary approach to gender, um, maybe race or, or even uh, cultural cultural elements that are, that are particular to, to, to the people that are part of that conversation. 100%. And, and I, I quite like the, and this isn't specific to Apple, but there's an industry-wide move to more support for image descriptions uh, as part of accessible design uh, across the board. So I noticed um, I was collaborating with a colleague on a PowerPoint presentation, and add, as I added an image to that PowerPoint presentation, it had an attempt at creating a, you know, a, a description for that image and gave me the opportunity to overwrite that description. And I think that that, that in and of itself is really cool as well because having, having the, the gender, neutra, gender neutral um, and you know, culturally sensitive machine learning generated uh, descriptions is great. But you know, what if it's a photo of, of uh, say, yourself, Rob? Now, I know the gender that you identify as. I know the pronouns that you prefer so um, in the markup for photos now as well, in iOS, in iPadOS, and in, in, in macOS, you can actually use the markup tool to write and add that to the metadata. So I could write, you know, Rod is wearing his orange jumper sort of thing. Uh, and Rod is wearing his orange jumper. It looks fantastic. <laughs> um, so that kind of thing I think is really cool because it's becoming a bit more mainstream. People are sort of starting to, to understand why it's important to do that. And software is actually prompting people um, you know, outside of it doing it automatically, we're actually being prompted uh, to consider, you know, inclusiveness or, or sorry, access, you know, accessibility and inclusive, um, you know, creation processes in tools that are as universally leveraged as PowerPoint, uh, which I think is really cool. But they did a lot of stuff around photos and uh, accessible design, you know, taking into account, you know, what people wanted to see or didn't want to see and a lot of cultural sort of things as well there. I know that you watched the videos. I, th I think you watched them earlier today. Um, so what were some of the stuff, some of the things that stood out to you around the work that was done in the photos app around accessible design? The first thing that stood out to me and doesn't necessarily have to do with the outcomes of the work itself is Apple showcasing that they've actually interacted with users and reached out for feedback to inform their design decisions, which historically has been something that they've been kind of talked down on, as in Apple having this design for, not design with approach to product design in general. And I think as part of this inclusion journey that 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 they've embarked on for a, a number of years now, this is not just a last year thing. Like it's deeply rooted into into the culture that they're building, and they have been building for a few years, showcasing that they've actually worked with subject matter experts and they talk to people who are going through some of these experiences to see how they feel about them um, and even made sure that they were building diverse teams so that they could, from the start, produce diverse solutions and inclusive solutions. That, that for me, is, is, was the main thing, the main um, call out from, from, from these sessions. But to be more specific, they talk, and, and in this example of working with users to identify opportunities, they talk about this idea of maybe the photo memories and having people that you might not want to be included in those photo memories for many reasons. Maybe they've passed away and you want to avoid 
negative feelings or maybe uh, an next relationship. Um, so they showed how they iterated, that they had a few screens. They th- Sorry, they had some interviews. They talk about their process, which is very similar to the human-centered design process. It That's is essential yep. human-centered design process. Yep. Um, came back, prototyped a few screens, went back to the users again and kept on refining, refining, refining. And we, we can talk about the specifics of these things for a while, but the, the, the key takeaway for me is the importance of, of the nuances where, that, that make up an inclusive, inclusive solution. It's, it's not only about, as we talked about earlier, it's not only about being WCAG compliant. It's not only about the contrast of the font sizes. It has everything to do with the content that your app has, placeholder information, images that you select to describe um, if it's a food app, for example, and all the foods that you use as placeholders are relevant to a specific ethnicity, then you might be leaving people out. And generally, when we come across these, um, working in these types of, of, of products or solutions, there's this idea, oh, but it's only for Australia. But most countries nowadays have a very diverse mixture of cultures. And, and so it's not only about doing the work for other countries. It's about making sure that mm. your entire audience is, is feels included and considered when they interact with your solutions. Um, I was just going to say, like, that cultural sort of, you know, piece of the intersectionality, that's just one slice. You know, if we're designing for the Australian audience, you know, there's the cultural aspect, there's, there's language access, uh, uh, things to consider, but, you know, we've spoken about people's gender as, as something and, you know, assuming that the default... Uh, gender representation in your application is male is is you know inherently uh, problematic, but also something that seems to happen. Um, and then assuming also you know something like the example they gave with family makeup, which I thought was really clever. Which you know they showed an app that you know obviously wasn't a real one, but it was like who is the 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 father, the mother, or parent one, parent two, and that kind of thing. And it's like well, you know you you can't assume the makeup of that family. Um, there's, there's a whole bunch of different sort of shapes and sizes and combinations that families can come in. And so allow them to assign titles or roles in association with names uh, and start with just one. So, you know, rather than saying, oh, well, if you're creating a family profile, you're going to need four text boxes because, you know, anything else isn't a family sort of thing. You know, the, the, these are the additional things that, you know, you think that you're sort of helping somebody out by laying it all out on the screen for them, but actually starting with less to allow them to put their their own experience into the interface um, is is the more appropriate, accessible design path. Sorry Absolutely, no, that's that actually builds on on onto I want to segue into now, which is and mindful of time as well. We're getting close to the end, mm. if not past the fifteen minute mark that we're trying to hit. But I think this is important to call out and is probably the main misconception around, I think it applies to both accessible and, in, and inclusive design, but it's this idea that it can be done at the end. Oh, we'll, we'll leave it for the end. And there's many misconceptions around this, that it's hard, that it limits creativity. Um, but I think the most important one that we need to tackle is this idea that you can do it at the end. That is so wrong. That's not Just the way to approach inclusive design. Yeah. It should be iterative, should be cyclical. And... It should be considered from the start. It, it can even be tied into business value reasons for it to be considered because it's basically making your app accessible, 
um, for more people. It's it's making it inclusive. It's innovation for wider audiences. Um, and and yeah, and this is this is something that I feel we tend to struggle when we're working on budget and what what are things that we can focus with the time that we have, and it's often overlooked. And it's definitely something that we need to bring focus awareness to focus on and and make sure that we're considering from the get-go because it it can make or break the experience for many people i I think it's it's inclusion and accessible inclusivity inclusivity in design and accessibility in design is one of those things that as designers we've been kind of yelling and screaming and jumping up and down about its importance its relevance and its value for, for a few years now but it's one of those things that it's starting to break through so some of the examples we spoke to with you know uh, image descriptions and and more and more closed captions around the place and you know I know that they're obviously more accessible designs and inclusive designs but you know talking to more and more of the clients that we interact with and articulating that you know inclusion is innovating for a wider audience you know most of the things that we develop you know the the ideal target state is that they we people want them to be adopted and they want them to be adopted by as many people as as possible. Uh, and that means that, you know, uh, uh, having an inclusive design strategy from the very, very beginning and throughout the development uh, development uh, process means that you will maximize the potential audience for the app, the product, the service that you happen to be designing. Um, so it, it makes business sense. It's not something that we're doing because we're purely altruistic and it's the right thing to do. It's something that we're doing for those reasons, but also uh, because it's commercially uh, the correct decision to make in in your development process as well. So I think we're at time. Um, thank you very very much, Rod, uh, for for another fifteen minute short sharp podcast. I'm looking forward to catching up next week. Uh, anything else to add? I think we covered most of it, and there's of course more to talk on this topic. And if you're listening to this and you're interested, leave a review, share what you think, or a comment, whatever you're listening to this podcast, and let us know. Thank you so much, Glenn. Love these chats. And I think this is a very important topic that we need to bring more and more awareness to. With that, see you next time and hope you have a great day.